You ready for Bible study? Yay. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) My brain just went to a song. So anyway, all right, so we're going to continue our series on Live Forgiven. We're on chapter four, Live Forgiven, and we're learning how to live in the forgiveness that we've been given in the new covenant. So, oh, Father God, we just thank you for this time together. We thank you for gathering us to break open your word of life. Thank you to feed your people manna from heaven. We thank you for the hidden manna that you've set aside for us tonight. We thank you, Father God, for your word of life that brings life and health to our to our bodies, Lord God. Thank you that you um, bring understanding to the simple. Thank you, Father God, that you will make these things easy to uh, lay hold of, so that we can apply it in our life and we can we can see it working. We can see the result of it, Lord God, and we just thank you for that. We commit this time to you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, we're starting at Live Forgiven, and our cornerstone scripture for this uh, series is Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. Amen. So we live because God has forgiven us, and we live in such a way where we forgive one another because he has forgiven us. And just as a recap, over the last few weeks, we've laid a foundation for where we're going today. We've talked about the different covenants and how God relates to us and and relates to how God relates to sin in light of the different covenants um, that he's had with his people. Only the Mosaic covenant, the law, was the conditional covenant that um, that created a system to deal with sin. That was the only one of all the conversations or covenants that God had with his people. It was the law. This covenant was broken by the betrayal of Jesus and the 30 pieces of silver. Um, the law and its requirements and our disobedience were all nailed to the cross. So we're going to look at that in Colossians 2, starting in verse 13. It says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven given us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to an open shame by triumphing over them in him. So this is God put the debt that we owed, the requirements of the law, every all of that got nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ. In the Amplified Version, verse 14 says, Having canceled and blotted out and wiped away the handwriting of the note, the bond, with its legal decrees and demands, which was in force and stood against us, hostile to us. So the law has always been hostile to us. This he set aside and cleared completely out of the way by nailing it to the cross. So he is he has taken away everything that has been hostile to us. And in its place, he established a new and better covenant based on better promises. So we're going to read a lot today through the book of Hebrews. Um, The author of the book of Hebrews, some people think that it may have been a sermon, um, it wasn't necessarily a letter. It doesn't say that it's written to a specific people. Um, it's not signed, you know, so we don't know whether it was Paul or if it might have been Apollos or Barnabas who who gave this sermon. Um, but it is very good at comparing 
what was done away with the old covenant and how Jesus was a better replacement for that. Um, So we're going to look at Hebrews um, starting in chapter 8 and verse 1. We're going to do 1 through 10, but I'm, um, I'm reading it from the voice translation. It says, but now Jesus has taken on a new and improved priestly ministry. And in that respect, he has made, he has been made to be a mediator of a better covenant established on better promises. Remember, if the first covenant had been able to reconcile everyone to God, there would have been no reason for a second covenant. So we see that we, God found it necessary to bring in a new covenant because he needed to reconcile us back to himself. So that's why the new covenant was established. In verse 8, it says, God found fault with the priest when he said through the prophet of Jeremiah. So he found a fault with the priesthood in in the old covenant. And then he gave the uh, prophecy in, of Jeremiah 31 that that promises the new covenant. So that's, you know, I won't go through all, but it's a a time is coming when I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In uh, verse 10, it says, I will make the kind of covenant with the people of Israel, um, not like the ones that I brought them out out of Egypt, but I will put my laws in their minds, write them on their hearts, and I will be their God. They will be my people, and they won't teach each other, know the Lord. And then in verse 12, it says, I will be merciful when they fail. I will erase their sins and their wicked acts out of my memory as though they never existed. So this is where we stand with Jesus. And it says um, in verse 13, it says, with the words new covenant, God made the first one old. So just by saying there's going to be a new one, he he made the, the one that was in force an old one. So because the new one's coming, it says with the words new covenant, God made the first covenant old. And what is old is no longer effective and is soon to fade away completely. So. So in at the time of this writing, this was written, they say between 63 and 64 A.D. is when the book of Hebrews was written. And um, the siege of Jerusalem happened around 66, um, and the temple was destroyed in 70. So even though Jesus had already died, rose from the dead, and the old covenant was was really over with, there were still people who were doing the sacrifices. They were still going through the motions. Um, there were some believers in Jesus that were so used to the tradition of doing that, they were crossing the line doing both. And that's really why the book of Hebrews was written, was like, don't go back. There's nothing to go back to. Okay, so when it says in the in the writing here that it was it was ready to vanish away, that vanishing away has already happened. So it's already diminished now. So it's already gone. And so God has established a new priesthood. So we're going to talk a little bit about the priesthood. Um, God was dissatisfied with the Levitical priesthood. Um, so he changed to um, Melchizedek priesthood. Now, everybody remember Melchizedek? <laughs> Melchizedek was the priest of the Most High God. And um, he was the one that met Abram in Genesis 14. He came to him with bread and wine, and Abram t- gave tithe to him. Um, but he was the one that came and brought a blessing to Abram. Okay, He was called priest of the Most High God, king of righteousness, and king of Salem, which Salem means peace, right? So he was the priest, the king of righteousness, and king of peace. 
that just looks like Jesus to me. <laughs> and um, so um, it was a royal priesthood because he was king and priest. And doesn't that look like what, G- what the father wanted to do with the children of Israel? He wanted to make them a, a kingdom of priests. And then um, now Peter called us. We're a royal priesthood. So we're after the order of Melchizedek. That's how it all fits together. Um, so the change in the covenant was required because of the change in priesthood. And we're going to go over now to Hebrews 7, Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek rather than one after the order of Aaron? So it's, why can't we just go with what we already had? When there was a, when there is a change in the priesthood, there is of necessity a change in the law as well. Okay. So this is, this is the, the case that they're laying out. And we're going to jump to verse 15. This becomes more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who becomes a priest not on the basis of legal requirements concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it was witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So the writer of Hebrews is saying that this is not a national lineage. This is not a family, you know, like the, the, the children of Aaron with the children of Levi, you know, these were like automatically the priests because that was the tribe they were in that was their bloodline. This priesthood of Melchizedek, it was not after a bloodline. It was after the, the order of the power of an indestructible life, the power of an endless life. And for it was witnessed of him, and the, he's quoting Psalm 110.4, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So that Psalm 110 is prophesying of Jesus. Starting and then continuing verse 18, for on one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. For the law was made, for the law made nothing perfect. Okay. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. <clears throat> so the, it, he keeps reiterating the law didn't work. The law didn't work. The law didn't work. <laughs> so, and I think it, it's hard for us to kind of get that to sink in it, because our default sometimes, if we're not renewed in our mind, is to pick up um, a performance, pick up something to do. Um, cause when you look at it, the picture of the law is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, what is a law if it's not the knowledge of good and evil? And so when you're eating of the law, you're eating from that same tree of death that was in the garden. Um, so, so now Jesus has put an axe to the root. He set it aside. Okay. Jesus became both the sacrifice and the new high priest. So he fulfilled both of it. The sacrifice, sacrifice being the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And also he is the high priest that never dies. You know, in the Levitical priesthood, if the high priest was good, the nation was blessed. If the high priest messed up, the whole nation, you know, fell. Um, and and when the high priest died, then everything had to be switched around again to the new high priest came in line. Our Jesus lives forever. He is our high priest forever and he will never die. So we can live secure that, that we're not, it's, we're not on shaky ground ever because 
because he's he's resurrected. He lives. He's conquered death for every man. So anyway, he said um, he became a priest by the power of the endless life, the indestructible life, the resurrection life. He finished the work. Now we're going to continue to Hebrews 9 in verse 11. It says, when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, securing eternal redemption. So he entered in not with the... Not into a natural tent, but the but the real tent that's in heaven. He entered in with his own blood and secured our eternal redemption. Amen. So this this when I read this, it reminds me of the prophecy in um, Daniel nine that we looked at, where he gives us everlasting right, righteousness, brings an end to the transgression, brings an end to the sacrifice. This is what he did. Okay, continuing verse thirteen. I'm sorry, you get all geeked and excited. <laughs> Yay. Okay, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit who offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Amen. So, we, he talks about the, the sprinkling of the defiled Persons, there was a, a law of purification, and it was a burnt offering where they would take a red heifer or a red cow and burn it up to its ashes, and they mixed it with the water, and that's what they sprinkled on people who were unclean because they touched a dead body, touched a dead animal, and those things that kept them outside of the service of the Lord. Their purification was with those, with the ashes of the red heifer that was sprinkled on them. Okay, so that's what he's referring to from Numbers 19. Where he talks about the blood of bulls, bulls and goats, he's speaking of Leviticus 16 on the Day of Atonement. So we're going to look at that real quick. Um, the Leviticus 16, starting in verse 14, and just referring to the Day of Atonement, that he would take some of the blood of the bull, sprinkle, sprinkle it in, with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side, in front of the mercy feet, seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times okay verse 15 then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring the blood inside the veil to do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull so he did the bull and the goats and sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the people of Israel, because of their transgression and all their sins. And so he shall for the tent of meeting, which dwells in the midst of them for their uncleanness. So this is the ritual that was done in order to make clean the unclean and to to atone for their sin for an entire year. Okay, so this is what was done at that point. Now, the the writer of Hebrews is saying what Jesus did, it accomplished the same thing, but better, more improved, <laughs> because it sprinkled, he sprinkled his own blood, and it wasn't something that had to be repeated year by year. It was established forever to take care of sin completely. Amen. All right. Jesus is our high priest. 
and we are his temple. So we are the holy place that was purified. Okay, so take that in. He has purified us once and for all. Amen. Amen. We're going to continue Hebrews 9, um, going jumping down to verse 24. <clears throat> Pardon me. Let me drink. For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true thing, but into heaven itself, now appear in the presence of, presence of God on our behalf. So he now appears in the presence of God for our behalf. Nor was it to offer him for himself repeatedly. We're going to read through. This is a lot of verses. We're going to read it through from top to bottom, and then we'll go back and, and dissect it. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with, with blood, not of his own, for when he would have suffered repeatedly since the foundation of the world. So he's saying Jesus would have had to be suffering from the foundations of the world if this was going to be a repeated thing. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away or abolish sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it was appointed for man once to die, and after that comes the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year by year make those perfect who draw near. Otherwise, they would have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O Lord. It is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, neither you have neither desired nor take pleasure in the sacrifices and the offerings and the burnt offerings and the sin offerings, these offered according to the law, then he added, Be cold, I have come to do your will. He does away the first in order to establish the second. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, behold, I've come to do your will, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We are forever sanctified. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which could never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for one time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made his footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit bears witness to us. For after saying, this covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and lawless deeds no more. For where there is a forgiveness of these, there is no longer no longer any 
any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by this new and living, fresh way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to that confession of our hope without wavering, for he who is promised is faithful. Amen. So I know it's a lot, but it's so much. And so many of these verses we kind of read, you know, we hear in a sermon this verse, this verse, this verse. And but seeing it in the context of of the framework of what it's of what it's actually saying it adds so much more life and depth to what it is so we'll go over some of the key points um first of all verse 24 the old ritual was only a shadow of what Jesus actually accomplished in the real heavenly holy of holies in that holy of holies that was not made with hands in verse 25 through 26 Jesus doesn't suffer repeatedly to cover our sins He did it once for all. So once the blood has been applied to our life by the high priest, do we need to keep applying it? No. No, it's been done once and for all. Verse 27 to 28, he had one death, then the judgment. So one death and then the judgment. Christ died once, and the judgment is our righteousness. No longer to deal with sin, but bringing salvation, rescue, safety, and physical uh of physical uh, salvation to us, deliverance, health, salvation, and healing. This is this is what that sozos, that salvation is, because there is no more sin. So he brings a fullness of our salvation to us because sin is not an issue anymore. In uh, chapter 10, verse 3, the old covenant sacrifices could never take away sin. In fact, it was a constant reminder of sin. So you see why some people who have who have an old covenant mentality or a mixture where they try to take a little bit from the old to hold on to and try to live in the law and grace at the same time, they they live stuck. They live they always have this conflict on the inside of them um, because the law brings a constant reminder of sin and where where the new covenant completely removes it out of the equation. The old covenant instilled a perpetual reminder of sin and sin on the conscience. If the old covenant had worked, there would have been no more consciousness of sin. But but the fact that you have a consciousness of sin, that proves that it doesn't work. In verse 9, again, Jesus took away the old, the old, I'm sorry, is that me? The, Jesus took away the old to establish the new, and now we live in a condemnation-free covenant. We are, we no longer have sin on our conscience. In uh, verses 12 through 14, Jesus made one sacrifice for sins forever, and he sat down. The priest could not sit because he was continually ministering, continually doing offerings. Can you imagine the thousands of people that came with their offerings and their sacrifices? And he stood constantly. He was on his feet all day long killing these animals. Jesus made one sacrifice for sins forever and sat down because his work was done. He was satisfied with the work he did in removing the sin barrier. 
he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So we're not striving toward perfection. He has finished the work. Now we are awakening to righteousness in Christ as he washes us with the water of his word. So there's there's one minister I listened to. He, he said, you know, talked about objective and subjective truths in the word of God. There are things that are from God's perspective already done and already true. Um, they are true for us, but not true to us because we haven't. We haven't had our eyes open to the revelation of it, but that doesn't mean it's any less true. You know, it's still it still belongs to us. Um, and then once our eyes are open to it, then we can lay hold of it and never let it go. Um, OK, in uh, chapter 10, verses 15 through 18, the Holy Spirit is testifying to us that our sins are removed. He was there. He watched it happen. So he was being a witness. You know, he's letting us know what happened at the cross. And he let us know that the covenant was established and is now in force. He convicts us of our righteousness. He lets us know that we are forgiven. He reminds us that we're forgiven. He reminds us that we're righteous and we need to believe his report about what he saw. He reminds us that the covenant says, I will remember your sins no more. And so where there is forgiveness, there is no no more need for a reminder of sin. So this is part of the covenant that we that we need to be reminded of the most. And uh, because our conscience on the inside of us has been trained towards sin consciousness and guilt and shame. That's what's happening on the inside of us. Part of the after effects of sin in our members is the awareness of our nakedness and our falling short. In Genesis 3, they knew that they were naked, so they put on uh, fig leaves, and they hid from each other, and they hid in the bushes to hide from God. So they were constantly pulling back and hiding. Um, and so, and then God came to, to them and said, who told you you were naked? They were listening to the voice of that evil conscience on the inside of them, that accuser on the inside of them. And that voice it, it resides on the inside of us, but we don't have to listen to it. We can feed ourselves with the word of God and override those voices. Instead of listening to the familiar voice of condemnation and our evil conscience that has been damaged by sin, we need to renew our mind and listen to the voice of God's spirit that tells us that we are perfected, perfected forever and there is no more condemnation for us to wear. How often do we check ourselves for problems and issues when we hit difficulties? When we, when we get, you know, something happen, it's like, what did I do? <laughs> you know, if we have, we have a flat tire and we wonder what we did wrong. You know, I know some, some churches that are really heavy handed about the tithe or something like that. If, if something happens, your refrigerator breaks down, it's like, oh, I didn't, I cheated on my tithe. That's why that happened. And you, you start expecting the other shoe to drop. You start expecting punishment. That's a fallen nature. That's not for you. And so we need to keep our mind on his obedience. You know, it's like, where I think it's in Second Corinthians 10 where it says that you capture every vain thought and to the obedience of Christ. You remember his obedience. This is not about your performance. This is about you have a father that knows how to take care of you. It rains on the just and the unjust, but he knows how to take a, get us out of every difficulty. He, he said, um, be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. You'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've got it taken care of. Okay. Then we go into, um, uh, verses 19 through 20. Therefore, because of all these things, because we know that the sin issue has been taken care of, 
Therefore, we can approach God in full assurance of faith, knowing that we are clean. Our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience. So we need to let the word get on our conscience so that our heart doesn't condemn us. In 1 John uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 19, and I'm reading from the voice translation, it says, There is a sure way for us to know that we belong to the truth. Even though our inner thoughts may condemn us with storms of guilt and constant reminders of our failures, we know that in we know in our hearts that in the presence of God himself is greater than any accusation. I'm going to say that again because I think I read it wrong. There is a sure way for us to know that we belong that we belong to the truth, even though our inner thoughts may condemn us. With storms of guilt and constant reminders of our failures, we can know in our hearts that in his presence, God himself is greater than any accusation. He knows all things. My loved ones, if our hearts cannot condemn us, we can stand with confidence before God. Amen. So we can train our hearts not to condemn us by meditating on the word, by meditating on what God has said about us, and receiving that to be the truth about us. And that's what true humility is, is, is receiving what God's word says about us. We're, we're, we don't fight against, you know, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. Well, if he says you're worthy, then obey that. You know, it's like he says you're worthy to come in. He's telling you to come into his presence. So trying to resist that or put some kind of sackcloth and ashes on you, that's not pleasing to him he wants you to come as you are because he loves you and he's already forgiven you and in uh chapter um he going back to hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 um let us hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering because god is faithful our confession is of hope and faith in christ it's not of our sin Okay, our confession, the confession or the profession is the word homologia. And it's that's the noun verb. That's the noun version of the verb homologio, which literally means to say the same thing as another. So you're saying together like in unison, homologio. And we've all heard this before. You know, confession is say together with God. So you say what God says about the issue. Right. So this is part of standing on the word. So let's let's look at this. When uh, what is your confession when you're faced with symptoms and diagnosis? Your confession is by Jesus stripes I'm healed, right? Okay. What is your confession when you're broke? My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. What is your confession when you're confused? I'm confused. No. <laughs> your confession is Jesus is my peace. He brings peace to my storm. What is your confession when you don't know what to do? I have the mind of Christ. Jesus is my shepherd, and I know his voice, and the voice of another I will not follow. Okay, so you lay hold of that. So what is your confession when you sin? I am forgiven. That's your confession. I'm forgiven. I'm righteous. Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away my sins. My sins are not counted to my account. These sins are not my sins. They're not counted to my account. Okay. So throughout the study, we've looked at a lot of forgiveness verses that you can lay hold to for that. Now, when we have symptoms, we don't go on and list all of our symptoms. You know, if you're fighting some kind of sickness, you go to God and say, God, I coughed three times today and I have a fever. (laughs) 
and then my stomach is upset, we say, thank you, Lord, that I'm healed by your stripes. You go to him and receive what what redemption has paid for you. What has salvation paid for you? In the same way, listing our sins, which, by the way, he's already forgotten. Okay, so we're not going up there trying to remind him about something. Listing all of our sins is not healing for us. It's better to say, thank you, Lord, that I am forgiven. Okay, so Pastor David did a teaching a while back, and I have... I have it on a CD for you all so you could take it home and listen. But he really did a good breakdown on 1 John 1, 9 that talks about confession of sins and what that really means. And so instead of like going into a whole deep dive on that one, I'm just going to give you his message. And he does it better than I would anyway. So I'll let you have that. But I will say that if you're going to confess your sins, say what God says about your sins. Okay. We need to hold tightly to our hope and our confidence because there are so many competing voices that would want us want to talk us out of our rest and talk us out of our peace. We can't do that. And a lot of those voices are the in, on the inside of us. And if we get too peaceful on the inside of us, then the voices are coming from outside, from religion. And we need to stand firm in our profession of hope and our confidence in what Jesus has done. Galatians 5.1 says, Christ has set us free to live a free life. So take your stand and never again let anyone put a harness of slavery upon you. Period. There we go. All right. Um, and we're going to do a little bit of a pivot now. Our high priest has also commissioned us to go share the gospel. And the gospel has hand in hand with it is forgiveness. After the resurrection, we're going to take a look at Luke 24. After the resurrection, Jesus came to his disciples to reassure them and commission them to go and spread the message of the kingdom. Um, In that, when he came and he visited them, he showed them his hands and his feet. So he showed them his covenant wounds. He ate breakfast with them, so he shared a covenant meal with them. And then he opened their understanding so they would comprehend the scriptures. They went through the Old Testament, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, and he showed them all the places that were about him. The volume of the book is written about Jesus. He showed how his betrayal, crucifixion, death, and resurrection all had to happen to to fulfill what was written about him. And after he got done with that, He said in Luke 24, verse 46, he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in the name, in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So these are the two things, repentance and removal of sin. Okay. Repentance is the word metanoia. And I know we talked about this uh, one other time, um, but metanoia is a change in mindset, okay? So metanoia has nothing to do with recounting your sin. It has nothing to do with emotional regret um, or remorse. It has nothing to do with something that you have to perform in order to get forgiveness. Like a lot of people think that if I don't, you know, feel sorry enough and bang my chest that I'm not going to get forgiven, okay? Forgiveness, uh, repentance is a gift from God. And repentance comes from a revelation of Jesus, and it goes hand in hand with faith, okay? So the best um, example that I found about something that having to do with repentance about a change of mindset is a testimony of Kenneth and Gloria Copeland. 
um, when they real they were studying the word and they realized that they were not the sick trying to get God to heal them, but they were the healed and the devil was trying to make them sick. So that shift in perspective, that completely, that changed how they approached things, changed how they received the word. And that is a picture of what repentance is. So in the same way, we're not a sinner trying to get forgiveness. We are the righteous and the accuser is trying to put that blame on us and put that debt on our account. Okay. Um, uh, David Bentley part has, he's a, um, Greek scholar and he has a translation of the, the New Testament from the Koine Greek. And the way he translates this, he's, um, in verse 46, it says, thus it has been written that the anointed will suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day. And in his name, transformation of heart and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. So that repentance is a transformation of heart. Okay. Jesus said that the transformation of heart and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed. So the proclamation is forgiveness. That's what we proclaim. And that's the word of reconciliation that we preach according to 2 Corinthians 5. Right. So, I'm just going to show you a couple places in the book of Acts um, of how how they preached the forgiveness of sins. In um, Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, Peter was preaching, and the people's hearts were pricked at his preaching when he was saying they killed Jesus. And so they said, brothers, what should we do? And in verse 38, Peter answered to them, repent, change your mind. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. In uh, Acts chapter 5, this is um, uh, Peter's response when they were arrested. So the he was arrested, and the <laughs> rulers were saying, didn't we tell you not to preach in Jesus' name anymore? And... Um, and so Peter responded in Acts uh, 5.29. It says, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than man. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. And God exalted him at the right hand as a leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we witnessed this things so and so is the Holy Spirit. We are witnesses of this, these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So so the Holy Spirit is saying amen to what they said. So I like that. Um, and then we go to Acts chapter 10. And this is Peter preaching at Cornelius' house. So he went to the Gentiles, and he's in the middle of the sermon. He's telling the, the history of who Jesus is. And um, they t- he talked about, you know, starting in verse 39, they put him to death by hanging him on the tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the appointed that he is the one appointed to judge and to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness and that everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins through his name. 
verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and all the believer and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. Okay, so this is pretty cool because as soon as he t- said, and forgiveness is, pre- is preached through his name, boom. They, their hearts were open. They received the Holy Spirit. That proclamation of forgiveness is so, so powerful. And they believed as soon as, as soon as they were, now, how many times do people go and they preach and they're not sharing that good news? They put all these qualifiers on top of it. But if we just give it to people straight the way that Jesus gave it to them, it has the power. The, the gospel, the charisma of God, it had the power to fulfill itself. It will answer the question for you. Um, we go into um, Acts 13, and this is um, Paul and Barnabas at Antioch in Pisidia. And um, they were guests. They were at the synagogue. They just went to go to the synagogue, and um, they were asked, you know, do you have a word to encourage the people? So Paul got up and started moving his hands, and, and um, he walked them through Israel's whole history, and he let them know that Jesus was the fulfillment of what was promised, that God raised him from the dead. And then he said, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. And by everyone who believes in him is freed from everything which could you could not be freed from by the law of Moses. So he just said, I'm proclaiming forgiveness of sins to you. And by this man, you'll be free from everything that you couldn't be free from in the law. And after that, the people begged them, come back next week and tell us again. Because, you know, they didn't have CDs. You know? <laughs> they said, we want to hear it again. People are hungry to hear this word, to hear this gospel. They're hungry to hear the good news of the gospel. And so, and that's where we're going to land right here because we're hungry and we'll come back next week. <laughs> so, And we'll take a look at how we can live forgiven and share that gift of forgiveness with other people. Amen. All right, Father God, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for sharing your word for us with us. Thank you for sharing your kindness with us. And Father God, I thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to continue to teach us and show us the way that we need to go. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you reveal to us how clean and how forgiven we are, that there is no record of wrong against us. We thank you We just um, that the Holy Spirit will be louder from any voice of condemnation and accusation, Lord God. We just thank you that you would teach us to train us to re- rebuke all those accusational thoughts that come up against our mind, Lord God. We just thank you for training us to live free and to live in your holiness and to live in your righteousness, Lord God. And we bless you and we praise you right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll see you on Sunday.